Hello and welcome to the UC Architects, your regular slice of exchange link and a little bit of Office 365. I'm your host, Steve Goodman, Exchange MVP, and you're listening to episode 20, recorded on Saturday the 13th of April 2013. As usual, we've got a packed show for you today. We're going to be talking about Exchange 2013 Cumulative Update 1, Link Cumulative Updates for April 2013, Scripts to help with public folders and Exchange Online. John's going to talk a little bit about Outlook Web App and some of the cool things you can do with it. We'll talk about some of the problems people have with Unified Comms and pose a few questions for you. Pat Richard has got an updated Link 2013 scripts, and we'll tell you a little bit more about what's changed. Uh, we've got a rundown of the upcoming events you need to know about. And if you love our podcast, then you'll want to hear about another one coming your way soon. First up, though, uh, I'd like to extend a warm welcome to my co-host this week, uh, Johan. Johan, welcome to the show. Hi, Steve. Thanks for How having me. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, so what have you been up to lately? Well, pretty busy with uh, redesigning an Exchange 2010 environment, um, which contains, uh, well, at now it contains six mailbox databases, but there are pretty much users in it, which cause uh, sometimes serious issues, such as uh, the maximum amount uh, of connections, which it hits, and that kind of stuff. So, pretty interesting. Yeah, sounds it. And Andrew Price, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Steve. It's been a long time coming. I'm all right. I'm all right. Been a, a very busy in the uh, professional world. Obviously, I've accepted a new job last week. Congratulations all round. Thank you very much. So at the minute, I'm very much doing a, a wind down. Obviously, getting a lot of documentation together for my customer site, ready for a handover. And uh, you work for the same company as me, Phoenix IT Group. And it's fair to say you're going to be missed, especially by me. Because uh, it's always nice to have a, a, a fellow community contributor uh, yes. in the company. So, uh, but I, I I trust you're going to somewhere really good as well. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't have took the offer. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunities that they're going to be offering me in the world of Link. So I'm very happy with the uh, job role I've accepted. And Michelle, Michelle DeRoy, how are you? I'm fine, Steve. Thanks. Have you been busy lately? As always. Um Professionally, uh, very busy with the carve-out project at the moment, uh, taking up a lot of time. Also, uh, non-business hours um, and doing a handover because I'm going on holiday uh, in a few weeks. So, anywhere nice? Uh, depends on the weather. It's <laughs> France, so. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Th- uh, I think there's supposed to be a heat wave on its way soon. So, I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. Thanks. And Link MVP, Justin Morris, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Dave. It's good to be on. How are you and what have you been up to? Yeah, I'm really good. I've uh, just been working on the ongoing voice project that I've been involved with for uh, almost last 18 months. And it's uh, going really well and it's uh, almost uh, starting to, to wind up on that one. Sounds good. And John Cook, hello. How are you? Hello. Good, good. Glad to be back after missing the last episode. And what have you been up to these days? Have you been busy? Uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit. I've been uh, studying. Uh, um, I'm going to um, uh, Exchange 2013 MCSM rotation beta next week. So my time has been uh, focused on studying uh, for that and also getting uh, my um, MCSC messaging done as part of, well, both as a prerequisite for that and also to you know get myself ready as much as I can. 
So I've I got a feeling then over the next few weeks you might be uh, going offline uh, completely. We won't hear much from you. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be done. on Twitter, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think they're actually going to give us a day off, which I, I was surprised. But, but for the most part, I think it's going to be you know, 12 hours a day at least in the classroom seven days a week for two weeks. Luckily, it's not three weeks like it normally is. So when you're done with that, we'll have to get you on to talk about your experiences where you can. Um, Paul Cunningham, Exchange Server Pro and Exchange MVP. Uh, it's the first time we've been on the show together, uh, and it's very early in the morning. Uh, it's tomorrow where you are, uh, quarter past six in the morning on a Sunday. Uh, and we've got you up for the show. Yeah, good morning. Uh, good to be here again. That's two in a row, so that's my new personal record. How about that? Well done, and better late than never. Uh, so what have you been up to lately then? Uh, I've been busy since the uh, since the CE1 uh, release for Exchange. I've been spending quite a lot of time uh, playing around with that. And uh, I am uh, uh, trying to write a book. Uh, so uh, I've had a couple of late nights this week uh, trying to make a little bit more progress on that. But uh, it's been slow going. I think it'll speed up a little bit now that uh, CE1 is out. We can... Uh, uh, we can push on with uh, with that platform rather than the RTM release. And last but not least, Michael Van Horenbeek, how are you? Hey, Steve, I'm fine, thanks. I bet you thought I was going to forget you there for a minute. <laughs> yeah, I, you, you got me scared. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, how's things going? Uh, great, great. Uh, pretty busy lately, uh, doing a, a pretty large project from uh, an on-prem exchange 2003 to a new wave Office 365, which is pretty interesting. So, Well, that sounds great. And we'll have to get you back on the show to talk about uh, your experiences with that when that's done. Uh, but first up, uh, you're going to talk to us a little bit more about Exchange Server 2013 Cumulative Update 1. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So, um, as we all know, C1 is finally there, and uh, most of us have been able to play with it, and it, it's pretty good. Um, let's face it, uh, we've all been waiting for it for a long time. We can finally start deploying it, um, and it finally allows to, to start some of the migrations that we've been looking out for. Um, but the, the biggest changes, obviously, are the, the huge amount of fixes that must have been in the product, because uh, we've deployed C1... Uh, on our internal deployment right now and the things that I see is that it's uh, running more smoothly uh, OA is, is much much faster um, and along with that um, there's a lot of new functionality in the product as well uh, one of the things that we've been waiting for is the ability to to schedule meetings in link uh, schedule meetings in link from OA sorry so um, yeah I feel that C1 finally is the build that that should have been um, exchanged earlier on I think that Tony Redmond already said it a few days ago in one of his posts um, and I look forward to finally be deploying it uh, into production but an interesting question for you guys perhaps is that do you feel the need to or do you have customers that feel the need to upgrade to Exchange 2013 because we're seeing some movement but not the masses that are moving to Exchange 2013 right away? I'm certainly getting the questions for it. Uh, I was with a customer last week uh, talking about 2013, and there's, there's definitely uh, keen people that want to move, but obviously have to consider the business aspects of it. It's not just cool technology. Uh, there's, a, there's still an, an element of risk. There's things that are missing uh, like the mailbox roll sizing calculator that 
that makes it harder to make a, a decision that you might get called upon in six months' time. Uh, and that that's so the interests there, um, but the the willingness to take the plunge um, is certainly uh, stalling things at the moment. Yeah, I would probably agree with that uh, uh, as well. Um, and from my experience, uh, without sizing guidance right now, um, and it's, you know, I think we would all agree it's the same, you know, uh, scenario with every new release. There's people that, you know, are going to still wait, wait for the you know, proverbial service back one, but you can kind of, you could probably argue see one really is, is service back one in a lot of ways. I mean, it's more or less a new version of the product in some ways, but um so yeah, I, I see that too. Without sizing guidance, I, that's one the definite barrier for people to start moving um, um, right now until that is released. And there's also some, you know, there needs to be more fleshed out um, coexistence and you know migration steps. Even though a lot of them are going to be the same as prior versions, um, you know, there's that warm and fuzzy that customers need to have. I think still that uh, you know will we'll certainly be forthcoming. Yeah, that lack of uh, sizing guidance is actually a, probably a. A big deal. I see a lot of people who are very keen to move ahead, and they're just throwing a lot of hardware at it. Basically, just just taking the bet that if they throw a lot of hardware at it, that uh, things will run pretty well. Um, because you can't reliably use the 2010 sizing guidance for 2013. It's just not uh, recommended. You certainly won't get an accurate result. Um, but you know, I think that. It's yeah, it's a tough call. I mean, if you can find a genuine business benefit to moving to it, uh, that'd be um, you know that'd be uh, I think the CE one build is one that you can you could uh, happily move to. One of the other problems I think is that uh, the best practices just don't exist uh, at this time yet. I mean, the Exchange twenty ten best practices guide they're really thorough comprehensive guide that was published by ms press that didn't come out until service pack one for exchange 2010 so um i think that was probably a full year after the rtm build so if you're going to be a trailblazer and roll out now you are probably going to be uh, doing so without the benefit of a lot of experience and best practice if you a uh, question uh, for everybody so has anyone deployed 13 yet and you know sort of rolled their own uh, sizing um and you know whether it be you know, just to say double, you know, double the RAM from 2010 or anything like that. I mean, has anyone uh, have, you know, experienced trying to, to plan ahead and, and do their own sizing? Well, um, we did a, we did our deployment on Exchange 2013. And um, basically what I did is because uh, I based myself on the, the information that was available. You know, IOPS went down, um, memory probably would go up, CPU would go up. So I started uh, using the same uh, specs I had for my Exchange 2010, but I soon added a bit more memory, added more CPU. Um, and uh, that was needed because uh, when I used the same amount of RAM and, and, and CPUs that I had before, then um, it, it was slow as hell. Um, it was, sure was. So I, I didn't really try adding a single CPU to that machine. Uh, it's, it's a virtual machine or... It, the the exchange servers are multiple virtual machines so we we nearly doubled the amount of ram that they have we added two vcpus um and now they were running actually quite happily but i'm pretty sure that i oversized them so once the the detailed information becomes available i'll redo my calculations and probably take away a bit of ram uh if that's if that's possible at all 
So um, it's, it's, it's a bit uh, like Paul said. We just threw a bit of hardware at it and it runs happily, which is great. But it isn't very reliable if you want to do a large scale deployment, is it? Yeah, that's my experience so far. And even in my home lab, is I, I sort of you know bumped up the specs from what I was running in 2010, and things to be seem to be pretty running pretty well. Um, I definitely threw more RAM at it uh, than I had in 2010. I, but I'm, I've been trying to also be very consistent about having you know true bricks, uh, multi-role servers, so everything's identical on all my nodes. So and that includes the uh, you know core and and, and RAM count. Well, I, I think if uh, customers want to really get the benefits, though, they do need that sizing uh, because things like database auto-reseed with JBOD, they're really compelling features. But unless you can be very, very sure uh, through things like load gen, through things like the sizing calculator, that what you buy is right, then you won't want to necessarily just rely on, on 2010 sizing and then you know, estimates uh, what what you really need because yes, we we know it needs more CPU, we know it needs more RAM, but uh, and and it's easy to you know a lot of these DL three eighties you can put uh, you know near, near two hundred gig RAM uh, in some cases more into them if you needed to, uh, but uh, who, who wants to risk having to go back uh, and change the design afterwards? Uh, so if people uh, customers that are looking to make a decision now or in the next few weeks on hardware that they're going to purchase and aren't going to be able to go back uh, and ask for more money uh, are in a bit of a, a hard place uh, when it comes to picking between 2010 and 2013, even if they've got ecosystem support uh, for, for things like backup products or, or are willing to, would, or would be willing to take the jump uh, down exchange native protection with JBOD. Yeah, what, what about stability? Do you guys have any field experience with it about the stability of exchange 2013 compared with with 2010 well uh, to be quite honest um, I'm, I'm i'm happy with it um, as a tap customer i've been running it for a while right now and uh, tap is actually the technology adoption program where you get to install the build very early on um, and uh, we've had some issues like any everyone but um, it's it's very stable at the moment. We're we're happily running it in production. We're actually um, uh, decommissioning our Exchange 2010 uh, anytime soon. So yeah, um, it's it's good. Um, it's it's finally there where it should be, and now we should be moving forward. So okay, there still are some things missing and uh, that we had in Exchange 2010, but it's not bothering us uh, at least not in our deployments. Okay. Yeah. Well, so go ahead. What kind of things are you missing? Can you explain them to our listeners? Or um, Well, it's not really uh, an end-user point of view, things that are missing. Um, but the things that I miss, for instance, um, and it's been said all over um, the, the past few weeks, but we have a link deployment, and every time I do an upgrade of the Exchange servers, so when I install Exchange uh, CU1, I had to do the reconfiguration in the web config files, and it seems like a small little thing, but if you have to do that for multiple servers, it's just a pain in the ass. Um, it's stuff like that. So it's the the smaller things that that really um, yeah get to you. But other than that, um, my users are happy now. They can schedule meetings in uh, OWA. So that's that's actually what counts. Yeah, yeah like the question I really wanted to ask was, what is your user feedback? Uh, because that's what people really care about when they're trying to make that decision. Uh, are users happy with the solution that you've got in place? Well, uh, yeah. Um, well, 
they didn't have lots of choice anyway. So, um, but yes, yes, because it, it, it is an improvement, um, especially if you're using um, uh, Office 2013, which we are rolling out to everyone in the company. Um, you get a lot of benefit when using Exchange 2013. You know, you've got the uh, deeper integration with the, the Office apps. Uh, you've got those nice little features like Bing Maps and LinkedIn and stuff. So yeah. those are typically things that, that people like, um, especially the ones that are using OWA, um, CNN, improvement they have to get used to it because at first they're like oh wow it changed a lot but after a while they're like okay well it works fine it works it works very well and um, especially because of the the performance improvements that we saw in cu1 um they're really happy with it right now so yeah so we'll, we'll cover the owa improvements in a bit but uh, obviously as, as techies we, we like that kind of thing but in terms of you know, real real users that aren't necessarily it do, do they do, do they really uh, enjoy the benefits uh, of, of Outlook 2013 do they say yes this is it it, it was worth doing you know we, we obviously uh, as a tap customer they may have went through some pain earlier on um, but are they uh, are they convinced that it was the right thing to do now well um it's actually it's a good question. Uh, we're an IT company, so not finding anyone who is IT minded is difficult. But HR. Um, well, yeah, they're even they are IT minded. You know, they <laughs> they're working for that IT company. No, honestly, um, is there is there actually a huge improvement? We've been using Outlook 2010 for a long long time, and they're using uh, Outlook 2013 now. Uh, some of them are at least, um, and I I reckon that probably most of them don't even use the advanced features. So they're just using Outlook 2013 um, as if they would be using Outlook 2010. So I don't think it really matters for them. Yeah, these are all good points. And, and one of the things I think is going to be, uh, not so much a challenge, but, but certainly a learning curve um, with, with 2013 is, is all the extra stuff that we have now, the, the integration with SharePoint for eDiscovery, the integration with Link for archiving. I mean, so it opens up a whole new, I think this release is, is unique in that it opens up a whole new uh, level of, of integration with, with uh, the other you know, core uh, uh, back office apps. So now we have, you know, this whole other, you know, other thing to talk about, um, you know, like you were t- touching on, um, before. Um, and, uh, I think, uh, it, you know, one of those things that I, I've noticed just even in my home, home lab is like sort of the, you know, the active management component that's new for us too. So, you know, for, for reasons like say back pressure or, you know, low disk space performance reasons, you know, the, the DAG copies could be activated on different servers and, you know, you're not really used to that in 2010. Um, there's a lot of things that are more proactive, um, um, in 13. So there's going to be certainly some learning curve along those lines, I think. Um, it's cool. It's good stuff, though. I mean, but uh, it's definitely like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> like, who told you to change my active active copy? I didn't tell you to do that. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but honestly, if you if you're running Exchange twenty thirteen, then um, you, you should go with you should go with the flow. Really, um, it's it's designed to do these things, and it's designed to do that for the better. Um, and at first, the very first time that I uh, came back in the morning, I saw that my databases were moving like all all over the place. I was like, okay. What the hell is it doing? But then I actually found out that, oh, well, it's doing it because I'm having an issue. Oh, nice. It's managing itself. So I don't have to do it anymore. Um, so there are definitely some some huge improvements um, on, on that area. 
but you you talked earlier about the fact that it integrates with SharePoint and Link, and and I do think that's really great. But the problem that I have with it is it's SharePoint 2013, it's Link 2013, so you have to go through uh, three migrations uh, if you have all of those previously installed, you know, Exchange 2010, SharePoint 2010, and Link 2010, uh, before you can actually leverage all those functionalities. Uh, and that's a bit of a pity because I don't see companies move to SharePoint 2013. Um, pretty quickly when they already have SharePoint installed because it's such a large project. Um, so they don't they don't get to uh, benefit from all the, the goodies in Exchange 2013 just yet. And that's a bit of a pity, but I'll, uh, I guess we'll find out in a year from now, won't we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and a lot of that is the, the same same old you know thing with releases and, and client versions and capabilities, and you can't have this unless you have this client, and you can't do this unless you have that backend. And so, yeah, I mean, there's going to be a, certainly a lot of that. Um, but uh, but uh, when you see, you know, I think when you see all the products as a whole and and, and those kind of and, and those kind of functions integra- integrated, um, it's a pretty compelling point to 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 move for some customers. I think. Yeah, and I, I think going back to to Link, uh, you can have Link 2013. And unless you've got certain requirements, you can still have Exchange 2010, but it's it's not quite the other way around for certain things, is it? Yeah, and to your, to your point uh, earlier about uh, web config, that was the one thing I did notice too, is well, in some ways we went sort of, you could argue we went backwards. There's some discussions along those lines in the in certain groups about um, uh, the link integration without like, web access in 2013. Um, you know, it used to be you just would set the, the uh, I believe after Service Pack 1 for 2010, you would just set the uh, OAuth virtual directory settings for instant messaging and be done with it. Um, but now it's, we're back to um, editing the web config to add the uh, uh, certificate thumbprint and, and uh, the link pool name. And that's one thing just to remember if you're running RTM, see one will overwrite that and to you know, make sure you put that back in. That was one little got you, I noticed. And I think also it would be important to mention any you know, Outlook web access customization would be lost. So you'd have to redo. Yeah, I just wanted to say something quickly about the, um, the integration between like Exchange 2013, Link 2013, and, and SharePoint 2013, and how you require all three of those products to be on 2013 for the integration to occur. Um, and that's because we've got server-to-server OAuth now between those three products. Um, and so, you know, interop between uh, older versions just, just won't happen without that OAuth there because, um, you know, on the Link side, we use UCWAR. Um, to talk OAuth over to Exchange and SharePoint, um, and the same thing happens in a kind of like a a, a a three a three sort of leg matrix, you know, to get to pull skill information from SharePoint, and you know, for Exchange to pull meeting info from Link, and this kind of thing. Yeah, well, uh, I totally get it that you you need to be in the same version, um, and and it's it's good, you know, it's good that we have OAuth um, that makes that possible um, on a pretty easy way, but it's still um, if you try or if you come into a customer uh, as an Exchange consultant and you're trying to sell Exchange for functionality in SharePoint and Link, um, you actually tell those well if you ever want to use that, and by the way, those site mailboxes they are awesome. But you have to deploy SharePoint 2013. Right. It <laughs> and, makes, and figure out how to get it, it to work. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's a huge difference, you know. Yeah, and from the SharePoint side, I was talking to a, a SharePoint guy the other day, and his problem was no one's deploying SharePoint 2013 yet. So he's he's very excited about the features in that, uh, a bit like us. Uh, but he's not pushing that out. He thinks it's going to be quite a while yet. It could be a year before he sees some of the most interesting projects come about. Yeah, because you got to assume that uh, you know uh, SharePoint is a much 
is very ingrained in business process, you know, where, where it's deployed and changing something like that can be, and since it's, you know, it is by its nature customer facing, right? You're hitting web pages and, and the design of those, um, that requires a lot more, I think, uh, you know, planning and slower adoption than something like changing out the, you know, exchange backend. Yeah, and of course, when you look at all that story together, you can see why there's a push, and it can seem easier to move to Office 365 or Exchange Online because, well, it's already set up for you. You don't have to move everything uh, immediately, but you can certainly dip your toe in and see what it's like. Yeah, Tony Remen just kind of spoke to that. I think on uh, on a, a, a run as a, a tech podcast, uh, you know. There's the getting into the point of the SharePoint integration and getting that configured. It's it's not easy in a lot of ways right now, especially you know if you're somebody like me who has very little SharePoint. I think I learned more about SharePoint in the week it took me to get um, the site mailboxes working that I ever wanted to know about SharePoint. Um, the, there is a perk to to be had in 365. Um, is what his his point was that somebody else does it for you. You, you, know, you don't have to go in and do all this stuff. You just one day it just just turned on. So there is there's some compelling reasons. Well, of course, with modern public folders, people might consider moving away from SharePoint altogether and sticking everything back in there. <laughs> uh, the, uh, at the uh, Office 365 user group, uh, with an audience of SharePoint people, they didn't appreciate the, the joke quite so much. <laughs> well, as Greg would say, it's something to do with websites. I don't know what they do over there. Yeah, that that's all it is. Uh, though someone did tweet, it's just email. I didn't know that it could, could be so complicated. <laughs> SharePoint people, eh? They, they just don't know. <laughs> also in jest, by the way. <laughs> um, but the thing that you mentioned um, earlier, John, uh, it, it is interesting indeed that uh, we do see a lot of companies um, thinking more about the cloud than they did before because it's just easier to move to the cloud in some cases than to have uh, deploy Link 2013 and SharePoint 2013 and Exchange 2013 on-premises. So um, there, there's clearly some 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 thought um, of a lot of companies to to do that be, just because it's easier. So I do agree uh, with what you said, and I think that um, this year and the next year we'll see more and more companies move to the cloud um, because it's more mature for one. Um, and yeah, it's it's int- interesting. It's kind of worrying because if a customer said, oh, you know, I prefer to do on-premise, then they look at it and go, oh, it's just too hard. Let's look at let, let's look at Exchange Online. Let's look at Office 365. Then a, a sensible organization might say, well, if we're going to move to the cloud, we should look at all the options. And if it was me, uh, then I would go, well, let's let's look what Google can offer. Can I knew you were going to say that. I know, and but... Obviously, you know this is an exchange and link podcast, and, and this is, that's when I would have come across the table and and throttled the person. <laughs> but, but 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 you have to look at the options. You can't sit back and and start saying, "Well, I can't consider it," because you you've got to you've got to think about the organisation that you're making the decision for or contributing to the decision for, and try and give them an objective view that's not based on on what you're doing now because you're going to have to change the way that you work you're going to have to run these things past legal anyway uh, and if uh, and if you've only got one offer on the table then someone might come back to you and go well why didn't you consider google and that so microsoft and lotus live uh, anyone got a customer considering that is there such a thing <laughs> yeah so, so so yes that's there's 
So Paul Lotus in live, that sounds so kind of... <laughs> Sorry to interrupt on that, but uh, we had a customer uh, comparing Office 365 against Lotus Live, and um, uh, they obviously went for Office 365 uh, afterwards, but uh, the thing that they liked about Lotus Live was the social aspect, the, the neat integration with with um, uh, of all the social uh, networks in, in Lotus Live, something that you don't quite have yet in, in Office 365. Well, yeah, Yammer. So, and yeah, where's the on-premise it, lam- yammer if you want it? You, you, yeah. ca- you can't get that part of the story. And so if you move to this, this is this is not intended to promote any particular uh, way forward for people. But if you move to that, then you're obviously just going to get things like yammer integration into SharePoint, into Link at some point. I don't know what the roadmap is, but you, it's, you, you can see it's going to happen. And you're not going to have to lift a finger to get that. Uh, so... So Microsoft, I think it's perhaps a bit of a misstep in making it too easy to make people consider the cloud by making it too hard to consider on-premises to get all the benefits because people are going to look at Lotus Live and go, yeah, those are some pretty cool features. Look at Google uh, and go and, and when they've got all these offers and they're all different prices, then the decision might not even be theirs and it might be something that technically might be wrong but financially makes a, a lot more sense. Uh, so it's, it's worrying. For, for me because you know I I I obviously really like Exchange Link uh, Office 365 as well but uh, if it's not there in 10 years time then then I'll be with the market leader because I started off as an email guy and I'm likely to, to stick with that whatever the product is whatever is the market leader uh, because I, I follow where it's coolest I follow where it's really interesting where the, the good stuff's happening well, I, I lift a very specific finger when, when somebody mentions Google Apps, so we know, <laughs> we know where I, my, my, my loyalty lies. No, and it, it's a really good point, though. I mean, I, I think with the cloud, you know, it's like the phases of death, you know, like, you know, ex- you know from, from you know, to acceptance. I mean, I sort of went through that uh, early on when, when it was still BPOS, you know, it's sort of like, yeah, whatever, you know, cloud schmoud, and then, you know, and sort of was against it because, you know, it's it's hard to give up. Uh, that concept of having stuff on prem, you know, and and certainly some people like seeing their servers all in a nice little cabinet and 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 knowing that they're there and they're you know that they own them, um, but obviously times have changed and uh, it yeah I mean it took a while but uh, sometimes it you know the cloud makes way more sense for a customer, certain types of customers than than on prem does, um, and I think you know with increasing complexity I think that's the case but Link it's obviously a different story because uh, voice integration is still a challenge in cloud services and and obviously that's coming and and and, and you know that's happening now but i still think that's one of the big barriers to 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 cloud with link but mail you know um there's a there's a lot to be said for for letting somebody else do it well on that happy note (laughs) uh we we went through the the ce1 is it ready to deploy on-prem and yeah there's a lot of arguments for and against it um but uh, but this is going to be a recurring topic. Is Exchange twenty thirteen ready for the go live? And I bet you know you know podcast or two's time, it may well be uh, an even more positive story. But the the, the main roundup is yeah, it's a bit complex uh, to do the the full story to get every single benefit. But uh, people who have deployed it are seeing a reliable product and they're seeing happy users uh, users that don't care about email are happy, and of course the ones that understand things a little bit more. Uh, are reaping the benefits of, of that integrated experience, which we'll talk about a bit later. Um, so, email's done. F- 
for the top story uh, and on to link updates with Justin. Yeah, thanks, Steve. So um, in the last seven days, we've seen a patch come out for uh, Link 2010. So not Link 2013, but, but Link 2010. Uh, and... What this is is a, a client um, cumulative update for April 2013, uh, which straight off the bat uh, fixes an issue where Link 2010 um, wouldn't start properly or wouldn't start at all uh, when you had the last cumulative update installed. Uh, so that's the, the one documented fix that this cumulative update delivers. Um, and there's probably some other things involved in that as well um, under the covers to, to, to stabilize things. Um, but this is definitely... Uh, the, the Link 2010 April uh, cumulative update that's been released. Uh, and there's one for the full flat client and one uh, for the attendee as well. And then moving on from that, uh, there's been an update for the Link 2010 iPhone and iPad apps as well. And this fixes uh, basically reliability, uh, stability, and uh, some performance uh uh, improvements there as well so uh, no new great features to, to shout about here uh, just fixing some things that, that may have sort of made the adapt crash in the past yeah it just says bug fixes on the app store <laughs> bug fixes yeah yeah so it's probably you know for some some case points where you know on a particular version of of ios on a particular handset or something you know that's fixing those kind of things um, and then we've also got uh Another big announcement is that um, the Link 2013 Android client has come out uh, in, since we last recorded, I think, and um, that's massive Whee. news. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's massive news for all the uh, all the people out there that are running Android, you know, and, and just given they they have the I think it's majority market share of the the handset market, it is a pretty big thing, um, and uh, it's great to see the Link 2013 mobile clients across all all platforms now delivering voice and video. Uh, but the big thing to know about here is this will only work on phone handsets. So um, if you, I, I don't know if it'll let you download it from the Play Store onto tablets, or um, it, or it, you can download it and it just doesn't run or something like that. Um, no, you can yeah, you can sell it. I mean, I, I, uh, Matt Landis actually on his on his website, he's got a link to the APK. Um, it works fine for my testing on Nexus Seven, so you can sideload okay. it. Cool, cool. Okay, yeah. I mean, if you if you really wanted to. To um to get it on there, then it sounds like it's definitely possible. So, so that's a good thing. I don't know why you would want to, but you know, <laughs> yeah, it works. Well, uh, I had a conversation uh, about this the, just the other day, and it, it it's where it's at is Android. Unfortunately, that's that, that's the cool phone. Curse you! Andro- it's well, I scoff. You know, we we don't we, we don't have an Android phone we own in my house at all. It's Windows Phone, iPhone, and uh, my work phone is is Android. Um, unfortunately, uh, but it's it's not what I like, uh, and, and it's not what we like. And uh, it is the market leader. And a, a voice manager said, you know, my my daughter she wants to have uh, an an Android. She does not want an iPhone. She doesn't want them anymore because the cool yeah, thing at school, school is the Android phones. Well, the numbers here don't don't aren't don't match that. But obviously, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like if I if I could, I would I would buy a Nexus Four. It's just that uh, the Google Play Store in the UK won't accept an Amex for some reason. So that's the only reason I haven't bought one. <laughs> uh, but but the thing is, we we want Link to be be popular so you want it to be on the right devices because if if you've got a customer that's just standardized on uh, a tested model that they're happy that works well and it happens to be android based uh, then you definitely want to have that link client there don't you 
yeah, sure. We want as much pervasive, um, you know, clients on as many platforms as possible because that's, you know, that completes the whole um, uh, go-to-market sort of offering really is having the application, the client available on as many platforms as possible. Oh, yeah, I agree. The, this, the, the challenge, though, obviously, is, is with Android is, is which devices. That's We just talked about, you know, the, yeah. the, 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 the link client only runs on certain devices you know i mean that's the that's the drag and that's the thing about android that uh, from a corporate from using it from using it i think it works really well though oh yeah yeah I it's pre- fine i prefer the android job. client to my normal phone whatever thing htc put on it uh, it's got a better answer the phone experience it shows my link picture when i dial it so it's 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 a good release from microsoft in my opinion yeah i'm using obviously the ios version um and i like it a lot the, 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 there's some things i wish it were different but most of those are <clears throat> begrudgingly admittedly issues with iOS and not the link client um, I'd like to replace personally I'd like to replace the actual stock dialer you know uh, uh, with the with link you know what I mean so I'm always just using that but obviously on iOS you can't do that which sucks but it is what it is um, I had a good experience with a client yesterday I actually uh, I answered the call on uh, on on, uh, on the link side on my phone got in my car and, and, and the link call switched over to Bluetooth in my car without Skipping a beat, I was actually quite surprised that it actually worked as well as it did. I'm like, hey, it's working. <laughs> cool. No, I'm definitely seeing more and more uh, what you probably call normal people with Android and actually actively seeking out Android devices, especially phones, um, for their personal use. And it's, I mean, oh, you have to take it seriously, really. And the, the problem or the risk I see is that if Android offers a substandard experience for a link client or for you know exchange um, email access and uh, it's going to reflect poorly on Microsoft people are going to think that it's you know that it's the link software that's bad or that our our work email just doesn't work well with Android Um, whether the problem is really with the phone OS or the you know the variation that the variation of Android that that particular phone has so uh, reality-wise, they really need to take it seriously, and these things have to work, and they have to work well, as well as they do anywhere else, at least. Yeah, I remember when the when the mobile clients came out, and the back end wasn't ready with the 2010 wave. You know, all the reviews on the app stores were always this, this app sucks, it doesn't work. It's like, yeah, chucklehead, because you have to have a link server to connect it to. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and just and just going back to Paul, what you said about people just blaming um, the app rather than the the handset is um, we found an issue with Link 2010 on iOS where if you actually put in an incorrect password attempt, it logged three incorrect password attempts on AD in the back end. And this issue actually doesn't occur on Windows Phone or Android. And it's actually a limitation of iOS and how it authenticates. So that's sort of one thing that people just blame it on Link, but it's actually an underlying operating system problem that causes that. That's surprising because Apple's had no problems at all with Exchange. I was just going to yeah, say, yeah, this <laughs> sounds similar to the, uh, the, the running exchange argument with uh, iOS. Well, if you have problems with iPhones and exchange, uh, you can always buy my book on the topic. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> Cheeky. <laughs> I couldn't resist. It's on the legacy version. Yeah, but it's all still good. The... It doesn't need an update. No one's moving to 2013 years we covered earlier. <laughs> it's still good for another few months. Come on. 
I need the sales. <laughs> Just do a search and replace and change it to 2013. <laughs> New version. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, to, to be honest, though, a lot of the stuff that's in that book is uh, also on msexchange.org and search exchange by me. Not the same articles, not the same text, uh, but very, very similar topics um, that uh, are updated to cover current versions of iOS and current versions of Exchange. So, yeah, you don't really need to buy anything. Moving on, uh, Outlook Web App. Uh, John, you were going to talk uh, a little bit about uh, your very, very positive experience with OWA 2013, the app's experience, and the fidelity you found. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, just to give you a background, I mean, obviously I'm pretty much a, you know, a Mac fanboy, so I run, you know, Macs as my... I wouldn't say primary because I'm using a lot of Windows VMs and my Surface at the same time. But you know, my, I say my main focus uh, every day is probably Safari or, or maybe Chrome, begrudgingly. But um, um, so I mean the the you know starting in 2010 the the experience on other browsers besides IE and OA has obviously been much much better and and and, and feature set wise on par with with IE which before it wasn't. Um, so, you know, that, that's been a huge boon to me and obviously anybody who has a Mac, um, because, uh, you know, I mean, you can argue whether Outlook for the Mac or Entourage before it was, you know, it's a decent enough client, but it's not been my favorite. So, and a lot of times I would rather use OWA, um, starting in 2010 than, than, than use Outlook 2011 for the Mac, um, or obviously, or, you know, Outlook office in a, in a VM. But so, I mean, I'm a big, been a big fan of, of the 2010 OA and, you know, going into 2013, the, the design changes and the functionality, I, there's a lot of things that I, I, I think they really did a good job on, um, stylistically as well. Um, and just the integration with different, you know, uh, uh, uh form factors, it kind of did text. Um, so if you're on the iPad or iPhone, it, the, the feature set changes and the design changes, uh, based on those devices, which is really slick. Um, and I would even argue always actually usable on the phone now. Um, um, but in where, where, you know, it hasn't been in the past. It's still, you know, it's not perfect, but, but, uh, it's still certainly better than it used to be. Um, and along those lines, uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, people might've noticed when, you know, some of the marketing materials with 2013 was this introduction of, of installable applications within, um, well, all of office, uh, all the office web apps, but, uh, focus that, you know, I'm focusing on, on Outlook web access. Um, and you know, there's some canned ones that we talked about. I think Michael talked about earlier, like the Bing maps. Um, so that, you know, if there's an address detected in the, um, um, uh, body of the message that Bing Maps will pick that address up and, and allow you to do an inline kind of map, um, you know, uh, right from Bing into the into the message body without having to, you know, cut and paste it and, and move it into a, another another browser tab or whatever. Um, so extending on that, there's like, all, you know, if you go to the, the, the office uh, website, there's a whole, you know, ecosystem build, building now on all these installable apps. Some are paid, some are free. Um, for all the Office uh, applications. But um, with Outlook, I just want to call out a couple of them um, that I found like, so far really, really useful. And, and, and if you go into this, you know, you can, you can have users uh, by policy be allowed to install these themselves or, you know, push down certain ones as sort of, a, you know, in a library that people could pick from or you can force down, some down that you want that are mandatory. So you have some flexibility in how you deploy these uh, to your user base. But um, uh, my favorite one so far, other than the ones that are, you know, kind of canned that, that uh, come uh, with the default, install um, is this conversation filer from Bill Avery. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's been really helpful. And basically, 
basically all it does is um, it detects, uh, you know, if you have a multiple, you know, a lot of messages in a thread, uh, kind of threaded conversation view, um, you just click one link and uh, inside the message header, uh, there's like a kind of a, a, a header for, for all the installed apps that might be active for that message type. And um, all it does is allows you to drop it into the specific folder that, you know, it detected that this thread was part of. Um, and with one click, instead of having to drag it over to the, to the folder, you can just, you know, click it and then it drops a whole uh, conversation into that folder. Really, really slick. Um, I've been really uh, pleased with it. And it's free. You know, I don't know if that has any plans on changing that or whatever, but um, pretty cool stuff. Um, the other one is uh, uh, the uh, URL information. Um, it does the same thing. It goes in and, and, and kind of bubbles up any links that are detected in that message. So if you've got a, got a long, you know, uh, list of, uh, of links embedded in a message, um, it kind of bubbles them all up into one central place. You don't have to kind of go through the whole message and pick them out and cut and paste and all that. Uh, again, very cool stuff. Um, it's Marlab Software who, who released that. And then the third was um, um, the uh, uh, message header information. And this is obviously more specific to, well, our target audience probably, but um, it kind of goes gives and gives like really expanded, detailed message header information right there in the message instead of having to, to you, know, you know, open up Outlook and, and look at properties of the message. Um, you can really get a good, you know, uh, flow of the message headers uh, to and from. It kind of formats it in a nice grid uh, format. Um, pretty cool stuff if you're, you know, tracking, you know, do, you know, real quick and easy way to track a message and see where the, what the header information uh, is. And, and you know and the link integration, um, I like it a lot. Um, if you haven't played with with the integration um, now, instead of having uh, the presence information sort of in uh, a, a collapsible list of, uh, if you're familiar, in 2010, the old integration with Link was you had sort of you know a mini Link client sort of embedded in one of the frames in in, in OA. That's been gone. It's been done away with. And if anyone has any, because uh, I'm kind of not thrilled that it's been completely removed because I'm not sure how you're supposed to start an IM with somebody now and what's the easiest way to do that. But um, the presence information kind of you know runs along the top border and kind of integrated right into the into the top part of the frame. Really, really well done. Um, and uh, and then if you look at contents, all the uh, presence information uh, is is displayed as well in kind of a you know Windows 8 sort of uh, stylistically. So really. Really good stuff, and, and as Michael uh, talked about earlier, you know, the ability to, to launch a, a, a schedule a, a link conference right from OA, um, again, is, you know, really cool stuff. So, you know, to me, the combination of the apps and link integration, I mean, for a certain segment of, of, of user base, this is basically the only client they need to have, you know. Um, if they don't need the full functionality of, of full office, um, you know, you can certainly reach a lot more people and give them some pretty core sets of tools um, right from OA, you know. Uh, one thing with the tablet support, though, uh, is it's it's good on some devices, but uh, not perfect. And one, that's one thing I'm certainly hoping that they're going to improve uh, to get that good uh, client support. So XP for for one to to make sure that uh, that IE8 experience is good. Uh, any bugs in that are fixed. And uh, things like Android tablets as well, making sure that uh, people can get that really rich apps experience uh, on whatever device they choose. I think that's really important to to, to point out that it's it's not quite there yet, and uh, it doesn't need to be there yet because uh, you know on most tablets, well, you can use Active Sync, uh, and that's going to actually be better experience for a lot of people. But as these apps get really popular, uh, I I think having that touch compatible across whatever touch device you're using uh fitting into what we were saying about link you know go making sure that if the customer decision uh doesn't uh 
ruin what they see in OWA. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like I said, I think it's a it's a, certainly a, a first step because uh, the previous version, of, I don't, if I remember right, in, uh, on uh, on Mobile Safari, for example, uh, OA twenty ten was forced to reach mode and really, you know, really wasn't particularly useful. I, I found, um, but uh, at least in, in thirteen, it's it's good in a pinch. Anyway, I would probably give it give it that, you know that. Um, I forgot to mention uh, offline access too is one of the new things uh, we haven't really talked about that before. So now uh, you can actually, um, you know store your mail a subset of your mail offline um into a little sort of isolated store um from the browser uh, i haven't played with it too much but i've enabled it and um uh, and uh it's pretty interesting um to, you know to, to still have mail in a browser when you disconnect i know people google said that for a long time right i don't use gmail so i i don't know uh i think they had it and then they've not had it it's it's come and gone uh you know it there was some offline, was it Google Gears? Then they dropped it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, that's the battle with Google. They might drop whatever they're doing at any time in favor of something else. Yeah, uh, but the, the, that offline access is really important to Google because they don't really have a, a proper client. Uh, whereas to uh, a Microsoft-centric user, then they've got lots of good options, haven't they? They've got ActiveSync, they've got OWA, they've got the full Outlook clients, so they can pick which one works best for them. Uh, and that's a experience. So say say you are on an XP machine and you've only got IEA, you can still use another browser, whether it be Google Chrome perhaps, if you prefer that, and get that good offline experience. Uh, if we you we do use support that. IEA, don't we? With, uh, I, with offline access though, I'm oh, not no, sure. I don't think so so you've got light, good and best and the the best support I don't think is is IE8. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's multi-browser. It's not it's it's not the old days. We're not five five here. We've got good browser support for, for the full offline experience in other major browsers. Uh, so yeah, XP can have it. Uh, you you can have it on your uh, Surface RT as well. And and I think I think that's better than Gmail because. You've only got that one option, unless you want to use an Outlook Sync connector, and then well, what what's going to work better for now? Yeah, I mean, that's like I said, that just to, to touch back on what I was saying. I mean, I just stylistically, Liza, I think they did a really good job with 13's OA. Um, oh yeah, I just don't want to go back. I no, I yeah, to, I would hate to day to day have to use OWA 2010 because although it looked amazing. Uh, and still looks better than Gmail, which doesn't really seem to to really change in a in an innovative way. OWA twenty thirteen is, is quite possibly the most beautiful webmail client you will ever see, and that, it, uh, as you've heard on this podcast, I'm trying to be very you know uh, giving both sides their fair due more than you like to. Uh, <laughs> but it, it is definitely the best experience that you'll see in a browser for for webmail, and there's 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 not a competitor that that can beat that. And I just uh, when I do, do you remember OWA twenty ten and then OWA twenty ten service pack one, and the big difference between the two, it was like a, compl- a completely refreshed OWA, and I hope that they keep on. And I said this at the time when they did service pack one and and blogged about it. Then I I want them to innovate in every service pack or even between CUs to give a better experience in OWA incrementally and jump ahead so 
if this model that perhaps is, is not to keep on uh, upgrading exchange every three years and it moves to something like, you know, every year they get a, a big refresh to really go to town with OWA. Uh, any bright ideas that they have, apps, uh, around apps, and, you know, apps is a, a big new one, but, but if they come up with something else, don't wait until the new release. Put it into OWA first. Uh, but put it in early. Let us see it early. Uh, yeah, it's got to be bug-free, but uh, give us a taste of, of innovative uh, on-prem and in the cloud uh, earlier rather than later. Yeah, and again, touching on that, um, the, 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 the similarities uh, stylistically with um, the live mail, outlook.com uh, now, um, and OA, I mean, again, I'm not sure if they're the same actual product uh, right now. I think they might be now, aren't they? But, but I mean, you know, it's almost indistinguishable between the two, between on-prem or, you know, 365 exchange Outlook Web Access and um, the outlook.com, you know, mail interface, which I think is pretty cool. And that's it. Is it it's the user experience that really counts. And, uh, that leads us quite nicely into our next topic. Uh, Andrew, are you still awake? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so uh, Andrew uh, is going to talk, uh, introduce the next topic, which is, is really about uh, the, you, the whole UC experience, uh, especially focused on Link. And we want to talk a little bit about what users want. Uh, isn't that right? Is indeed. It, this is basically a question that's come from um, our community, one of our listeners. Um, they're basically asking the questions around what problems in OIT do we have with UC? What's the most painful? Is it the end user that getting confused with obviously audio? Obviously, when obviously you unplug your USB device and pull it back in again, some users get confused about changing their audio settings back to the headset. That's one I see quite regular. Um, obviously, they want to basically get a feel for what people have and what issues they have out there. So does anyone have a, an idea on that? Yeah, I can probably uh, throw something in here. So um, one thing that we see commonly in a lot of customers that uh, blocks user adoption is is, is training um, isn't always sufficient. So users don't know how to use Link um, to its fullest potential. And um, it really comes down to the devices they use as well. Uh, you know, like are they using a wired headset to get the best quality or have they all been offered Bluetooth headsets and there's um, you know some contention issues with those uh, and they're not pairing properly with uh, the device, um, with their PC, and, and maybe it's paired with their iPhone and things like that. So um, it definitely, a lot of the things that can impact your your UC deployment come down to what the user is using, you know, in front of them there. You know, because they're moving from a experience where a person picked up a physical phone, you know, off the desk and made the number, dialed it on that separate device... And the call was always 100% good, but now we've moved that experience onto the PC where there's so many more variables in play where you've got things like AV running in the background, like backup stuff, all this other thing that could be contending with the link client, putting media on the wire. And one thing where like a user contacted us once and said, oh, it takes me 30 seconds to answer a call. And I was like, oh, this isn't good. This means some sort of media setup problem in the back end or something like this. But what it ended up being was that the call was coming in in Link, and then she was flipping open her Bluetooth headset and going to pick it up, but it was taking like 30 seconds for it to pair with the uh, USB dongle. And so, as far as the user's concerned, they just blame Link. They like Link's crap, you know, like this is ridiculous, like my new phone system's not working, when what it was was, you know, the headset they were given wasn't maybe perfect for what they needed to, needed to use a phone for. 
Yeah, totally. Well, and you, and the, the, the mention about the AV is a huge one, I mean, and I mean, that's come up a bunch of times. In fact, we even did a study um, on the project I'm on with a user community in a, in a location, and you know, basically logged all the help desk complaints for quote unquote link voice issues for us, you know, a, a span of time, right? And and then once we went through those, um, we kind of you know were filtering out what was the problem and and whether or not that was actually had anything to do with link and voice quality, right? And uh, mm. over 60% of the issues were you know AV scan was running at the time, or their workstations were underpowered, or all these other things that had you know I didn't like my headset, or I couldn't get it to connect, or whatever, and had nothing to do with the actual you know link in terms of you know voice quality but to the yeah. user they get lumped in hey link sucks for voice you know so um it can't be overestimated i think that that all these uh, you know uh, peripheral type uh, uh, functions can have a huge impact on the perception of of link voice yeah i mean because like you know you and i both know that you know link as a product is solid you know from the server to the client you know is 100 percent. but it's all those other things that that can they can have a hit on it, you know, and like everything from, and you need to basically QA the whole the whole path from, you know, where the call breaks out of the PSDN through to what sort of piece of kit that user is actually using to make the call because that at the end of the day is going to make or break it. Yeah, I want to want to jump into that. So, what my experience is that is that most of the complaints of the, the end users are, in most cases, not technical related but most times functional related as John also mm. mentioned uh, for example we had one user with a, with a customer who had a very strange issue and yeah, the simple solution was to, to place a, two point two, uh, a USB hub uh, between it a 2.0 uh, hub which fixed the issue and the user said yeah you know, a link scrapped this and that and then we placed the hub in between it and all is, all shit was over. So, yeah, as Justin also said, there are a lot of uh, additional factors which come into play when, when, when using enterprise uh, voice from Link. And training, which was also mentioned by, by, by Justin, is really important. And that's what I see is sometimes forgotten by companies. They think, yeah, we rip out the old PBX and replace it with, with Link and everybody's happy but they forget the user and then the user won't be happy yeah and i think like one thing that a lot of the headset vendors like um like plantronics will actually publish loads and loads of um documentation and adoption stuff online to really stress how important the devices are you know because a lot of people think oh yeah well you know we're gonna go voip we're just gonna give them a a, you know a, a five quid headset that they got down at tesco and that'll be fine for link you know but it's like absolutely not the case i think like like Plantronics do a good job of saying, here's what the value is with purchasing a good quality headset that, you know, may be a bit more expensive, but it's going to create um, a fantastic experience on Link. Yeah, one thing uh, we're talking about uh, with, with devices is one thing I'd like to see, um, and I think is an issue right now, is that, is that these, you know, the with Blue, well, I think, you know, again, is it, and is it any one vendor's problem or is it is it Link's problem? I think it's part of, you know, partially Bluetooth's problem right now. In that you know most of these devices, in order to get wideband, you know a higher quality, have to have their own Bluetooth dongle that is you know a higher capacity than your average you know integrated Bluetooth chip, and that's great. The problem I see is when you have a multiple devices and you have all these dongles that are specific to that device, which is I think problematic. And B, one of the things I'm seeing on some of my devices is that there's you know uh, arguments between the embedded Bluetooth and this Bluetooth dongle. 
um, and it causes you know some interesting problems. I'm kind of dealing with that on, on my Surface Pro right now with the the UC Legend, um, which I love, but its dongle is fighting with the Marvell Bluetooth chipset inside the Pro, and so you know sometimes like the mouse goes bye bye or the keyboard goes bye bye or you know I have an external you know Bluetooth keyboard, um, you know, and I pull the dongle, put it back in, and it's great. It's like I wish there would be some standard you know extension to Bluetooth you know to for high definition audio, so we wouldn't need all these extra dongles, but you know. It's just this is where the market is right now. Yeah, and and about Bluetooth stuff is um, things that do annoy me is that um, when you've got multiple devices, um, you know, you're working at your computer and you're using a um, a, a headset uh, Bluetooth as well, and you go to your car and uh, you take it with you, but you forgot to switch it off. That my phone, um, for instance, has trouble um, actually switching over from one to the other one, meaning that uh, I, sometimes I'm still connected to my headset because I forgot to switch it off, and then I want to call from my car, and I'm like, oh. Jeez, I still have to switch from headsets. Um, and I can imagine that if I have this problem, then uh, obviously other people have that problem as well. And from an end user point of view, um, it, it could be better, you know. Uh, it's as you said, it's, it's, it's more a Bluetooth problem than, than it's something else. But still, it is a problem. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely share some more stories about Bluetooth. Um, is it, I think they're, they're good for people that are like super, super mobile, you know, people that like can't, get away like they need to be able to get up and walk away from their desk for some reason you know if it's just a convenience thing then i think they should just use a wired headset because they're going to get the best quality like i've seen problems with if you give you know 200 jabra supreme uc um, bluetooth headsets out to people um and then they go and they pair it with their iphone as well there's a period in time when you open up that that headset it will start to just pair with anything it can find and there can be scenarios where that might even pair with another um, Supreme UC's USB dongle on a person next to it. So then you've got a, a device that's paired to a other dongle, and then their phone call starts coming through your headset. And I mean, that's like a massive issue. And it can only really be fixed with um, completely wiping all the pair partners away and, and repairing it from scratch using, like, um, I think Jabra have a, an app for it. But it's just like it's another thing that, like, Bluetooth is really a, a minefield, I think, and people should be very wary about deploying it. Well, I, I'm quite keen on my Bluetooth headsets, especially when they connect to the mobile at the same time. But uh, I can understand the the wary thing because I am always having trouble with which headsets uh, I'm using because uh, I've got different ones I prefer uh, depending on what I'm doing. Uh, so if I'm if it's a long conference call, then. Uh, and I'm not going to be interacting too much now. I might prefer a Bluetooth headset if it's something where uh, I might be talk the, the main talker on a conference call. Then I like something that goes over my head, got a better mic. Uh, I know it's going to last longer. Um, so I, I I've sometimes found that uh, via Bluetooth, either one or the other is connected to the wrong one. The other one's in my bag. I forgot to switch it off. A bit like you you mentioned before, sir. So, uh, I would like to, and, and we've had questions from Plantronics about the kind of things we want to see, and, and of course Andrew's going to probably mention that we want to hear from you as well about what you want. Uh, I would like to see apps maybe from Plantronics that, or, or the Jabra or whoever that make it easier to know what device you're using. Yeah, totally. Uh, so I, I don't know, maybe when the call starts, when it's ringing, uh, the, the app that's, that, that knows its devices uh, gives you a heads up which one it is and gives you the option to tap it quickly. Yeah, so I even put quick. 
Yeah, totally. And, and I think that I think in some ways that I, I wish the link client had did a better job of of an in, incoming call. I mean, twenty thirteen has a much bigger toast window, you know, so you can get to it yeah. easier. But I really wish there was a better. You know, something like that wasn't uh, maybe some in the system tray itself. Um, that was, you know, it's sometimes it is hard to to answer a call by you know f- grabbing the mouse, getting on that box in time, clicking it, you know, to accept the call. I wish there was a better way. I kind of put that it was a, that Link Ideas uh, website some some better way to answer a call um, without hardware. If you just have a you know your mouse and and you're working at your desktop as a normal desktop. Um, you know, the nice thing about Service Pro that makes it really easy. I just poke the you know poke the toast with you know my finger. <laughs> but but, uh, but if what I'd in- like to see is you know say it rings and I'm sitting at my desk and I've got this mic here, which is uh, some pro silly thing now, uh, and I've got the headset plugged in. I want to be able to just right, it's ringing. I want to choose the device there and then that that matters because I wasn't thinking about it before it started ringing but I want to use the headset I want to put the headset on but it just so happens that because the call before was this podcast that uh, I'm on the mic and right okay this could be a long call and I'm gonna look like a like a wannabe DJ or something sitting here on a call to a customer with a big fat microphone sitting in my face whereas really I'd like to have a headset uh, on for that call, so I can sit back and uh, relax a bit, bit more. So, uh, and that, that's the the problem that I found because I have a, a I've got a Plantronics headset that Plantronics sent me um, in addition to my Bluetooth one, and of course now I've got the option. I I enjoy that option, but I'm find I find it hard to decide which one to use uh, for that. Uh, and mixing all these different devices, that's where I I find the pain because it's it's always too late to swap. Uh, devices uh, after after it started ringing. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, another thing that 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 also gets me is uh, Bluetooth reception as well, and moving between devices. And I don't know who would sort this. Uh, whether it is the headset vendor that it can link into both your phone uh, or your. Uh, or the, the the laptop as well, because the, like the Voyager headsets, it, and I think there's a, a Jabra one that does the same thing. It, it can connect to your phone and to and to your desktop at the same time. So you could be on a call and, and walk off, uh, pop down, make yourself a coffee while you're on mute. Uh, but if then you decide that you're going to pop into the car, or or if you've got a bigger house than me, you can go out of range. One thing I'd like to see is if someone could solve the problem of automatically switching devices so you walk too far you walk out of range of the pc that it's hanging off on bluetooth and as it sees that going off it it uh, it knows that the headset that's connected uh, is out of range uh, it also knows that you were connected on this mobile uh, and diverts the call to it for transfers the call across so it uh, you you hear it drop off, and around about that time, your your phone starts ringing. You answer it, and you're still on the conference call. No one's any the wiser. Does that? Do, uh, am I the only one that would like that? Uh, could or, or is there already a solution that I just don't know about for that problem? No, I haven't uh, come across that anyone. You know that 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 being the case, I will say though I, I've been really pleased with the, my uh, uh, Plantronics UC Legend, and um, I. Uh, my office is in the basement, for example. I walk out and probably go, you know, 70 feet uh, to go get a, a pop. <laughs> and while I'm on a call, I'm going to, you know, once I get, you know, 30 feet away, I'll get, 
I'll lose the call. I'll, I mean, I'll lose the audio, but it won't disconnect the call. And as soon as I walk back in, it it, it seamlessly, you know, it, there's no loss in the call at all. You know, I'm just I'm just like you know uh, out of I'm not hearing audio for the few seconds I'm out of range. I think at least that's good. At least it doesn't drop the call on me. You know. Or maybe better than that, if uh, if it could be Link that did it. So you've got Link on your mobile, you've got Link on your desktop. You started the call on your desktop. It, it's the the idea that it's it's a bit more seamless that it would attract me because you've got the idea that, that it seems like the technology, like the hardware is there to do it, but the software is missing to make it that that you could go on a call. You know, it, has anyone ever had a two hour conference call? Yeah, no, well, yeah, yeah. These podcasts are than, more than two hours. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, our podcasts are a bit different because we're we're trying to maintain audio quality, and some of us are. Uh, but but there, there is some similarities where you might be on a conference call where you you've got to listen, but you're not going to be doing a lot of talking, and you could be doing other things. You could be doing other work, uh, uh, and uh, uh, and you might even just realize that conference call started in the office it's going on a little bit longer and you might be leaving client site at uh, the conference calls still on and you don't want to necessarily have to drop out drop in again because uh it's you're going to interrupt someone else's flow uh and it, it would be good if there was the ability from a uc vendor uh, ideally link where you can just seamlessly transfer everything across and you can just stay on that call for as long as you need to uh, whether you're on your uh, whether you started that on the desktop or on the mobile so you could theoretically start a two-hour conference call at home on your laptop at home uh, pop that away and it's on your mobile drive to the office still connected pop your, your, your desktop on the docking thing, open it up and transfer it back to the desk phone, maybe stick it onto a speakerphone uh, and uh, and jobs are good and you haven't had to join, go through all that process, putting in a pin and all that sort of stuff or each time you've you've been on that call, you've not had to miss anything, you've not had to dial back in or, or mess around dialing in from two different devices to, to cross over. Uh, I, that, that's the kind of thing where, you, where I see that should be the kind of experience where theoretically the, all the bits are there to do it. It's just the software's not. Right. How many, uh, but we've all, we have all probably, uh, at least I know I have been on a wired headset and, and forgotten that I'm not on a wired headset and we'll try to walk away and pull my laptop halfway across the desk. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's not much we can do about that. <laughs> that's, that's definitely just user error, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and again, I mean, I think you know some of these are definitely software uh, things that, that that people won't you know develop solutions to over time and, and fix. Um, but uh, the fighting between hardware—that's the one thing that I, you know I'm worried about over you know um, that there's just nothing anyone can do about that. You know, if the, the two Bluetooth chips are fighting each other, well, you know, <laughs> that's just you know. And again, that's kind of maybe a corner case, but you got to assume that most mobile devices certainly are going to have. Bluetooth in them nowadays, and well, uh, I mean Justin points out that you can do what I'm asking already because if you decided to, you could transfer to mobile. But it's 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 trying to remove the need to to make all these conscious decisions. Yeah, and that requires PSDN too, right? Um, so it's actually doing a call to the phone and connecting, right? Yeah, I mean, you, I, I suppose you're not going to get away from that though. Uh, that well, I, I think we're talking about an enterprise voice deployment. Uh, ideally, where otherwise you probably couldn't dial in from the PST. Yeah, but it'd be cool um, now that we have VoIP on like mobile. If if it understood that it was connected, uh, you know, I mean through the data channel, not 
through PSTN and if you transfer the call, yeah. it would just signal the client like it would, know, it would another desktop if you could transfer to another desktop, you know. So just move to your mobile. That'd be cool too. I think actually, that, there's a use case I, I would have for that to, to transfer to another endpoint. Um, that would be something that would be cool if uh, uh, they could put in there. So like, you know, like, you know like, like a lot of the mobile clients for like AIM or, or, or Skype or Messenger, um, you know, we'll show you, hey, you're logged in in five different other places. If you could transfer the, a link call to the, to the link client on one of those other locations, and including if they were mobile, that would be pretty slick, I think. I, I, that's something I would, I mean, I don't know how much of a use case that is, but I know I would use that because I have multiple machines and I might want to, you know, grab it on another machine that has a headset that I know is working, something like that. <laughs> well, I find that really, really frustrating because uh, if I, so, uh, I'd, there's probably user error more than anything else. Uh, but uh, I had signed into LinkRT, uh, or Link, Link MX, sorry, uh, and Link on the desktop. And answering the wrong one, I found frustrating. Well, <laughs> just transferring be- between the right one. So I say, oh, can you phone me back? I, right, I answered that- the wrong uh, version. Because, you know, you, if you, you, I like the idea of being able to have the touch interface and then have the the real interface for depending on where I'm sitting, but I had them both signed in, and uh, e- even just between the the two clients on one desktop, it seems mad. But the, uh, well, that's I, where I've that's... done it before with starting an, an IM chat, and I seem to have two IM chats running with the, the same person, uh, one on the mobile and one on the desktop. Sometimes, so right. it it doesn't feel like I'm signed in once as a single entity. It's me lots of times as the same user. Uh, interacting from different places. Yeah, I mean, and Link has functionality built in to keep track of that kind of thing where it will only um, send incoming IMs and calls to your last active endpoint depending on what the um, input was, you know, whether it was your, your last presence was updated for this particular endpoint or you last had an IM session open um, on this endpoint and things like that. And that's um, how we get around not sending IMs and calls to link clients that are logged into RDP sessions and things like that. Um, but just coming back to sort of what you're saying, Steve, about being able to seamlessly hand over to mobile and then back from mobile to desktop and things like that, um, I don't think that would be too difficult to um, implement because we keep track of the endpoints as it is and you could do like, you know, if you wanted to transfer from your desktop to mobile, it would just be a UI thing that says transfer to my link client that's signed in on mobile and then talk. And then once you get home, then there'd be a little thing on the mobile client that says transfer back onto my link client that's signed in on the desktop and that kind of thing. And so moving away from just doing the blind transfer to mobile, we'd go to do have more of awareness of where we're logged in on and, and do sort of transfers in that way. Like MSN used to, it used to tell you all your different clients that you could, you could, get a little list up of right uh, yeah I'm signing on my desktop i'm signing on my phone and obviously some of the mobile clients still do that like like bjive on, on ios does that so if you're logged in the you know the msn network or live or skype or whatever you want to call it now uh it'll tell you like which endpoints you're logged in at but yeah and then that's a good point that you brought up too i mean that's one of the the both the cool and 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 you know sort of jarring user experiences on windows 8 when you do have the mx client open and the link client open on the desktop side um, you know, you, whenever, for every one new message notification, you're getting two pop-up windows. And if you hit the wrong yep. one, you're in the wrong client. And you're like, ah, oh, crap, I don't want to be in this client, you know. And, <laughs> and then if you have, a, a, you know, hardware, multiple hardware, that uh, the, the, the har- uh, hardware might not be assigned to the MX client. Um, so it gets into this whole, you know, weird scenario like, oh, you know, I'm answering on the wrong client. You know? Well, we'll see. So uh, I don't know what the best 
route to to raising that sort of link specific issue is but uh, uh but all if other people agree that that, that kind of thing is useful maybe uh, a bit of a push uh via every means that people have got uh, might well help because uh, don't leave us alone on that if you agree and and uh, to, to this topic in general if you've got any sort of ideas about uh, how you think these uc vendors like plantronics with their add-in software could improve the uc experience uh, we'll set up a, a thread on on linkedin and facebook uh, and if you just uh, uh pop over to those and uh, and give us your ideas then that would be really good because one thing uh, one thing's for sure uh plantronics in particular are, are going to be listening to what you say about that because they they were one of the ones that as as community people themselves not as uh, from a sales side from their their engineering teams they were the ones that, that wanted us to sort of talk about this a little bit uh so uh your feedback's going to be heard by the right people and moving on, it's scripting time. So who likes scripts, everyone? Yay! Yay! Uh, Microsoft Exchange uh, 2013 Public Folders Directory Sync Support Scripts. Now that's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Uh, and now out. Uh, and they are uh, scripts to enable the creation of public folder-related objects in the Office 365 Active Directory and synchronization of public folder-related Active Directory objects between on-premise and Office 365 directory. That's the Microsoft description, as you might well have gathered. Uh, and, yeah, it's a bit of a mouthful. And, um, Michael, you've had a little bit of experience with it, and you're not impressed so far, are you? Uh, well, yeah, not really. It's uh, it's a bit like uh, easy things made difficult. Um, <laughs> no, honestly, uh, it's it, it's necessity. If you want to to go cross premises with your public folders, then you need to use them. Explain um, cross premises. Well, cross premises. Sorry. Uh, so, if you want to have your on premises public folders uh, synced into Office three sixty five, meaning you go from your on premises to the cloud, is that a migration you, uh, or one way two way sync? Uh, that is migration-wise, so exporting them on premises and then importing them in in Office three sixty five. Yeah. Um, then you'll need to use these uh, these scripts. Now, um, the confusion that might arise is that um, if you have a a full scale deployment uh, in Office three sixty five, then chances are that you're using Dursync uh, to synchronize your Active Directory objects to Office three sixty five. But Dursing doesn't take uh, with it these public folder objects. So that's where you need to use these scripts for. And uh, as far as I understood, is that you have to schedule these scripts uh, to run every 30 minutes or so to make that synchronization work, which is actually a uh, additional syncing in, into Office 365, making things a bit more complicated. It, it would have been nice if if there was a solution to take the those objects with in... in, in um, in, in Dursync, but um, I, I I do see that that isn't uh, as easy as, as, as it sounds. But um, well, that's yeah, that's, you know, un- that's understanding that it's FIM, but as Dursync is a package, it's supposed to be a, a black box. If that <coughs> involves Microsoft sticking these scripts into Dursync, running a scheduled jobs that the admin doesn't have to wor- worry about, then that would make more sense because it's Dursync. Yeah, it's a few different components, but. Sure, um, that it should be possible some way, uh, somehow. But um, then again, if you don't have Dursync, then yeah, okay, well, you, you need to have the scripts anyway. 
um, if you want to do the syncing of the public folders, that is. So um, from what I can see, it's 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 pretty rough. They 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 the things that they do, it's it's quite straightforward as well. But um, I'm happy to see if they are going to change something about these these scripts or if they're just going to leave it at this. And uh, um, yeah, so I haven't been able to do a lot of things with it. I'm just starting to play with it, but that's just my two cents so far. So the the next podcast you're on, we'll have to revisit this because uh, we'll probably see some sort of guidance, maybe a blog post on the Exchange Team blog, going into a bit more detail on it. You might well write about it as well. Um, who knows? Uh, but there's but it's early days on these scripts. They're not they, they, they don't seem like the ideal solution though. Um, well, no, no, not not really. Well, yeah, perhaps they are. Um, so we're we're trying to get our public folders into Office three sixty five. So I'll definitely write about it uh, and get back to you and and let you know whether or not it's it's a very good solution or uh, rather a difficult one. Cool. Uh, and our second script, this is really only a quick mention here, uh, is, uh, of course, uh, our fellow UC architect, Pat Richard, uh, has updated one of his scripts. Uh, the set CS Link 2013 prereqs uh, script has been updated uh, a couple of weeks ago now, but after the last podcast went out, uh, primarily to support edge server roles uh, and a few added features. So uh, stress test and performance options, uh, some code optimization, and uh, he's dropped in some code for the future versions on. So uh, a script that's uh, constantly in development and you'll see new versions of. Uh, and download, download that now. And we'll have a link to that on the, the UC Architects blog, uh, blog as well. Uh our final set of topics we're going to talk about events uh, and justin uh, you're going to plug uh, your uh, tom's and adam's uh, uk uc user group first of all yeah that's it steve so we've got um our microsoft uc user group in london happening on the 25th of april which is a thursday night and uh we're going to go through uh, a bunch of different topics starting with uh i'm going to go into mobility architecture deep dive and so uh, really find out and show people uh, what happens with the call flows and what happens with um, the new unified communications web API that we're using um, for mobile clients. And then uh, Tom is going to jump into a bit more info about uh, centralized logging, uh, which is something I think people need to understand in a lot more detail because uh, it is quite um, valuable for troubleshooting scenarios. And then finally, Adam is uh, going to lead up with some some new Polycom updates that have come out around uh, devices as well. So uh, it's looking like a, a good night. And uh, as always, after we've finished up, we'll head down the pub and have a couple of pints and you know talk about our uh, war stories and things from around the traps. So uh, yeah, really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's a pity I can't go to that one. I've, I've been looking forward to going to your next event every time there's a next event, but unfortunately, uh, the very next day, I'm in Barry and Furnace, which is literally like the other end of the country, and I'll probably need <laughs> to be there for like 9am as well. So uh, I, I won't be going, but uh, I will make it to one of your events uh, uh, as soon as I as, as soon as I can, really. I, what I should do is you, you give me the, the event after the next one, and I'll book the next morning off. <laughs> so... Uh, I'm not going to be anywhere because I, I really want to go to them because you know uh, one thing that that I get out of these uh, out of things events like this is is learning about uh, learning more about Link uh, and and getting to know the community a bit better as well uh, because uh, I'm I'm personally embedded a lot in the Exchange community but uh, 
but to really enjoy Link and learning a bit more about it. And that's what these events are perfect for as well, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it'd be great to have you down, Steve. You can uh, meet all the guys. We've got a um, a bunch of a good bunch of guys that come along quite regularly, and um, they've always got uh, not only Link stuff, but they're also responsible for exchange within their environments as well. So, um, yeah, it'd be good to to get you down and um, just sort of mingle around a little bit more. I want to come just to drink with you guys. That's my real reason. And we we can't not mention it. Uh, Mech is Woo-hoo. back. Uh, there's been some lobster thing going around the internet telling you it's in all different places. But that was all a big ruse. Uh, they knew where it was going to be all along, didn't they? Uh, and it's going to be in Austin, Texas. Uh, and that's uh, next, <laughs> next March, uh, the 31st to April 2nd, uh, 2014. So uh, you've got just under a year to convince your boss that you should go. Or, if they say no, save up and make it your holiday. Uh, one thing that, that I think we ought to perhaps consider, and give us a bit more feedback as well uh, via uh, via Facebook, LinkedIn, is uh, perhaps because it is going to be such a, a big thing for the exchange community. Uh, and it's going to be a nice place to go uh, as well, a uh, bit of a trip. Uh, and with so many events like this, it, it might be something that people do have to, to self-fund again, uh, looking to see whether, uh, as an aside to it, we could perhaps organise something for, for spouses as well, so that so, so we can make it a, a bit of a, a family thing as well. So you can bring your other half and kids uh, and organise a sidetrack. Uh, for VMworld, they do uh, something similar. Uh, I think Scott Lowe, if you've ever heard of of him, uh, I think he's a, a V-expert uh, who uh, organises spouse-tivities or his wife organises spouse-tivities alongside VMworld. And uh, especially with a year to go before that event, it, it could be something really good to make it a, a good value event if people uh, are bringing themselves. Uh, so I, does anyone else think though, that kind of thing is something they'll be up for? Or the other halves will be up for? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> is Austin, Texas not that kind of place? No, I, I'm not up for it. I want, I, that's my vacation. <laughs> okay uh well perhaps for the more family oriented uh you know i i i'm a, a big family man so I, I hate being away from my, my wife and daughter for that kind of time uh, especially where it's somewhere that they'd want to see so yeah maybe maybe not we'll see uh so give us some feedback on, on what your thoughts are on that because obviously you know if it's just two or three people that kind of you know it, it's not going to happen but but if there's that there are uh, that there is more interest then it, it could be something that uh that, that we could help put together uh the the next one of course and is is very much uh Closer at hand is, is TechEd, uh, which is only a few months away, uh, North America and in Europe. Uh, so check that out. Uh, you can still register naturally. Uh, I may or may not be there. I don't know yet. Justin definitely will be. You better uh, be at a Mac. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you got a year to start saving. Yeah. Uh, Justin's going to be speaking at TechEd. Yeah, so um, I'm going to be doing I'm going to be doing a migration and coexistence session at uh, TechEd North America, and then the same session again at TechEd Europe in uh, Madrid, but also a high availability and disaster recovery session there as well. You're going to be busy then. But- yeah, yeah, I've got uh, I've got a busy couple of months leading up until uh, the start of June. So North America is in the first 
week of June, and then Europe's in the last week of June there. So uh, looking forward to the warm weather, but um, yeah, definitely you know getting all my ducks in a row and, and getting as prepared as possible. Well, you'll get no, you'll get warm weather in, in New Orleans. <laughs> I've, I've seen the forecast. Yeah, it's like thirty degrees plus every day. So and six hundred percent humidity. So, the, but uh, I think we had a discussion on this on on our mailing list. Uh, and some of the the presenters at these at TechEd can spend the three days before they're presenting stuck in the hotel room going over their demos just to make sure that everything is perfect. Uh, so you might not be enjoying that heat. Yeah, I've got. I've, I'm flying in. I think on the Saturday or something. So I've got a, yeah. a couple of Have days. Have you been in New Orleans before? Sleeve to. No, it's my first time. It's it it it's it, it's hot. It, it's, it's freaking hot. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to Miami before, so it's kind of like I suppose relatable. But I don't know that whole kind of golf weather is. Maybe oh yeah, a bit it's. Different. I was at the last time, uh, the, te- uh, the last tech that I was at in New Orleans, and I was, you know, I had never been there yet, and and it can be get humid in Chicago, believe me. But I, I've never experienced anything like that, <laughs> and I've been, I've been to Saudi Arabia and Kuwait too. <laughs> it's a whole so other you, thing. <laughs> you might be in the hotel room by choice then, <laughs> uh, or having a, a few cold ones. Just bring three times the clothes. <laughs> Yeah, I'm quite. I'm quite keen to uh, check out uh, the French Quarter and Bourbon Street and that, and uh, get amongst it. So that'll be fun as well. So two chances for you to see Justin present his amazing sessions. One uh, at the UC Group, you'll meet Justin there, and at TechEd, where a few of us will be as well. Uh, so whether that's going to be uh, just hanging around the bar, uh, whether that's going to be doing a session, uh, or whether that's going to be on one of these Ask the Experts type stands, uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but uh, as we know more, and as the, the events come a, a bit closer up, uh, we'll make sure, you know, because uh, at, at Mech in particular, uh, that you know, we uh, those who were there definitely enjoyed uh, meeting some of the listeners, uh, and uh, I, I think John, did you get thrown into the, the depths of it talking about transport as well uh, while you were at Mech? Oh uh, yeah, very last minute. Yeah, yeah, in a, in, a, in a very early hour, and I was very hungover. I was hungover every day, so but uh, <laughs> but that was it was really worth it. And actually, we were talking about that again. If we're, uh, was it the same at the Link Conference? Were you very hungover? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but at least I didn't have to present anything. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we were talking about that if they're going to do that again uh, for Mech 2014, but we don't know for sure yet. But that was pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Uh, and uh, other events, uh, I don't think any of us are, are at at the moment who are on this podcast, at least. Uh, Windows Connections online event in May. Uh, and uh, the US uh, UC users group, linkusersgroup.com, Cincinnati, Detroit, Columbus, Atlanta, Chicago, Milwaukee, Nashville, and New York. Uh, well, NYC uh, are the the places that user group covers as well. So, so check those out for upcoming events. And the the last one uh, was the Office three six five UK user group, which is second uh, of May two thousand and thirteen. I was uh, at the the first one of those that I've attended, which was over in Leicester uh, on the 9th of. April, which uh, has a very good bunch, and that's a. Uh, I did a session there on hybrid exchange, uh, wave fifteen sort of new features, uh, the things you need to really consider. And if you uh, check out my blog, you'll see the the session slides from that, uh, which uh, all the detail is is in the notes. And definitely a good bunch there. A uh, lot of SharePoint guys, of course, um, and uh, got to meet a uh, guy Stuart 
from MCS, uh, who uh, I've, I've seen about uh, but never actually met uh, in person. Uh, so it's a, a great event. And the guy that runs it, uh, Matt Hughes, uh, is is someone that is starting uh, a similar podcast. Uh, so not the same as us, not Exchange and Link, but really very much focused on Office 365. Uh, so if you're a, a listener to our podcast and uh, you've been thinking, I'd love to be on, on the podcast. You know, I've got lots of cool stuff that I'm doing at the moment. And, we, you know, uh, we... we we've struggled it's taken us this long to get paul cunningham on the podcast uh and now we've got him two times in a row uh but uh it with a group a group like us it's, it's hard to to get on and because everyone's got to get a chance to get on in the first place and while we're still trying to get the uh, initial 13 or 14 on the podcast in the first place we found it difficult to to let everyone from the community that wants to come on the podcast come on so you've got a great opportunity with with matt uh, who's a a top guy uh, to be a part of that new podcast he's looking at the moment uh, for people that are looking to come on cool stories about office 365 and the technologies that surround it Uh, he's very much a sharepoint guy so if you're doing a lot of exchange online work then he'll want to hear from you if you're doing link online work link online hybrid stuff then he's definitely looking for guests and his format is slightly different to ours uh, where it's a 30-minute interview-style chat. Uh, so uh, we'll pop up the link to that podcast, uh, and you'll be able to get in touch with Matt, who will be very uh, happy to hear from you. Uh, so so that that's cool, because uh, the, the more the merrier. Uh, we've obviously enjoyed being uh, the best podcast for Exchange and Link, and still will be, but uh, this will be the best podcast for Office 365 uh, from Matt. And hopefully, uh, if you like our podcast, uh, you'll listen to his as well. So uh, that is pretty much it for the show. Uh, it's uh, quarter to 11 here. We've been going uh, for a couple of hours now, and it's almost midnight uh, for, for some of us here uh, as well, uh, especially uh, my European cousins. Uh and it's about time to wrap up. So thank you very much to my co-hosts on the show today. Uh, it's It's been a good show. Uh, so thanks very much, everyone. And this week's editor is Michael Van Horenbeek. And hopefully it won't be too much of a, a task for him. And um, we want to remind you that the UC Architects are online. Visit our webcast at theucarchitects.com. We're on Twitter and more and more active on Twitter by the day with our amassing followers uh, so check us out there too facebook uh, you'll find us there too at the uc architects uh, and of course our link on group uh, our linkedin group i should say uh, where you'll find our questions really from from this week especially about uc so check those out if you haven't already uh, see our website to uh, everything uh, that you've heard about on the show today all the links will be up there uh, and of course podcast episodes are available on iTunes, the Zoom Marketplace and our RSS feed if you prefer something else to subscribe to your podcast on. And we'll see you back for the next episode with Pat Hosting. Thanks for listening.